Right, well, Rawdon, I guess another year of the podcast yeah. has gone It has been a glorious year. And then we uh, move into a new... We're going to hyperspace. Yes. Hi- hi- hyperspace and uh, we'll... we'll when we uh, come out of hyperspace, we'll be in 2019. Okay. Very exciting. Mate, there's a lot to get through. So we get the muscle Dr. Jordan Shallow on the program. He's mm. done uh, a few episodes with us in the past. And well they're received. always incredibly detailed. Yes. Truth be told, we thought we would uh, knock. So there's a, it's part of a... a I think it might have to be a more than three-part series, but it was mm. supposed to be a three-part series, and we'll knock all three over at once. We created the two-hour block, and we thought, Jordan, we'll get you on the line. We'll yeah. do this three-part series in yeah. two hours. Punchy. Make it snappy. And we spent two hours and 40 minutes, and we got uh, one part done. So mm. this is going to be half of the first part today, <laughs> and then we'll do half of the first yeah. part next episode. What yeah. we're doing is a hypertrophy series. Yes. And we thought we'd just break it down into a very basic... Basic three-day split, mm. chest and back, mm-hmm. shoulders and arms, lower body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We get Jordo on and we say, okay, chest and back. Let's start here. What are your favorite exercises for mm. the chest? How do we do this? We'll just, so, well, what's the anatomy again? Okay, mm, such and mm. such, blah, blah, blah. Origins, what a workout look like? All that uh, kind of stuff. Origins, insertions, yeah. and all that uh all that fancy stuff that you and I know, like the back of our hands, but <laughs> yeah. not so much uh, physiology of hypertrophy and uh, mechanisms for hypertrophy, although he does sort of delve into a bit of those. He's a fan of the muscle damage and, mm. you know, funking shit up when he's uh, when he's in the gym for sure. Mm. But more the, the biomechanics and um, best bang for your buck, what, 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 like you said, what he likes best for, for, for chest, you know, is yes. it a dumbbell or a bench or smith and, and pull downs? You know, what are we doing? Are we flaring the elbows, keeping them in? Uh, and that type of stuff. So uh, we thought it would be really good because I think a lot of us know the basics. Like, man, we've got to do a horizontal, vertical pull. But of those horizontal and vertical or press, or, you know, vertical, horizontal, press, we want what are the best, you know, mm. from a biomechanics and a recruitment perspective. And obviously, individual variability, you know, might mean that, I know for some of my athletes, the, the Smith machine is like the devil. You know, it's like, oh, no, oh, shoulder issues as soon as I hop in that Smith machine. But barbell, they're sweet. So obviously there'll be individual little nuances with 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 what we're going to talk about, but mm. just from a, a biomechanics and anatomy perspective, what are, what takes the the muscles to the greatest realm? That was the concept and the idea. There'll be some great takeaways from this one today. So we're doing chest, and this is from a hypertrophy perspective as well. Yes. Yeah, not strength. And yep. the uh, the bench press. Uh, is a notable exercise that mm. he said well if you want to target your chest for hypertrophy the bench press is probably one of your worst options oh yeah which was good. very interesting well i had my pen and, out yeah I was trying ready to go press number one um, <clears throat> so but from out. a pleasing perspective uh, for me he does like the incline dumbbell press mm-hmm. and uh, mate i haven't actually because of the sport that i play in my shoulder health and various things like that i haven't actually pressed a barbell for probably six months or so so it's all yeah. all my pressing is all uh, dumbbell work yeah so it it was nice to hear that uh, you know I'm, you're not, I'm, I'm you're not, not losing not them gains, missing out on too much by mm. by working with dumbbells. So that was very pleasing. Now before we get into the content, and it is it, it, it's Jordan Shallow, so mm. he's going to start off talking a little bit about his transition from powerlifting into hypertrophy and mm. the pros and cons mm. of the two different styles of training. He'll talk a little bit about mechanisms of hypertrophy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Then he'll get into the chest stuff. So it's it's detailed. Mm. Strap yourself in. Make sure you're in a, a mood for yeah. picking through some pretty technical now, stuff. 
a modafinil or some uh, definitely some caffeine pre pre listener you're recommending to me a bit of tyrosine well what, I guess it depends I guess it depends on your uh, neurological profile Rod. Mm. for some people out there maybe a Valium could yes. be the way to get you through you have a this. great night yeah you can have a great night listening to Jordo. but and correct me if I'm wrong I think there's a few word of the days smattered throughout the, uh, the interview as well you, yes. you always pull some some lovely vocabulary out when he's describing certain things, which is always uh, hilarious and a lot of fun. So Very good. That was awesome. Now, before we get into it, he is coming out to Australia yes. 2019 yes. in uh, January. Now, is, is there right? someone famous that he's coming out with, Tommy? He's coming out with Ben Pakolsky. The Pac-Man, IFBB Pro Bodybuilder. Yep. So all of the information for these camps can be found at musclecamps.com. That's where you'll go to get yourself booked in. But they're Sydney, Perth, and Melbourne, and they're basically three-day camps. Yep. Day one is going to be all theory, uh, lectures and seminars. It's the rules of training from mm. their perspective. Mm. And as Jordo will tell you, it's going to be, you know, PhD level dissertations yep. on their various mm. perspectives yep. on things, and they don't necessarily agree. Either. They'll be going toe to toe. Yeah, he, he said that there'll be quite a heated discussion. So it sounds like you'll get both ends of the spectrum there. Mm-hmm. And then the days two and three are going to be training camps. Yeah, AM and PM sessions, I believe, twice a day. So, so Sydney you know. down at Kingdom Gym, uh, Mark Patience Place down there, January 11, 12, and thirteen. I think that's where he kicks it off. Uh, then Perth in uh, Doherty's, uh, the new Doherty's in Perth there. Uh, 18th, 19th, and 20th of Jan. And then he, uh, the boys make a beeline for Melbourne again. Uh, Doherty's, I think, Brunswick. Brunswick. Brunswick there. And his, uh, his mecca, yeah. the gym he, he prefers to anywhere else in the world. So had a really good experience there uh, at Tony Doherty's gym in uh, Brunswick there. But that's January 25, 26, and 27. So I'm assuming that the same three-day format each each Friday will be the, the theory and uh, going toe-to-toe with BPAC. But, uh, and Jordo, so that's really exciting. And then the the hands on the meat and nuts of uh, getting your ass whipping from the boys and uh, learning how they like to, to move through all the different exercises and, um, you know, arguably uh, an invaluable experience in itself. An experience that you and I have actually uh, been part of. Yes. With, with BPAC. Obviously yes. not with Jordo. No, but we did. Uh, we did make- Jordo would have still been at chiropractic school, I think. Uh, Back in 2013. 2013, probably. I think it was. Yeah, we did make reference to that at the start of this interview, Rod, and when mm. we did the uh, the brutal. BPAC seminar when he was here in 2013. Yeah, brutal. Yeah, but don't let that put you brutal. off. You'll have fun. Yeah, it will be fun. You know what? It's actually, it's not something that I would do again, but uh, yes. I do really think that there is benefit to being put through Absolutely. those group training environments. Absolutely. Just, you know, I actually don't think that there's great benefit in training consistently to that level point of um, because yeah. i just don't think you can recover from that sort of stuff particularly unsustainable you, unsustainable but just to know to go through the experience and to know that you can push yourself through really mm. something you just absolutely do not want to do mm. and experience the kind of pain and fatigue mm. and disruption to your physiology when mm. you get pushed through those group training environments mm. where you know Everyone's standing it, around going, hey, come on, yeah, yeah. yeah. and then you just you just don't want to do it, and you do. I remember, and I'll I'll shout it out, Justin Delahunty. Yep, pencil. Uh, well, it was a it was a this was when Milos Sarchev was uh, yeah. in Australia, and he mm-hmm. took uh, Justin. I think was actually working with him at the time. Mm-hmm. It was the first time they'd met in person, mm-hmm. and uh, Milos took Justin for a legs giant set mm. uh, thing, and I think I was filming it. Yeah, and it was the. I've never seen I've never seen an individual yeah. work harder 
through a mm. through a, a punishing. Yeah. It was so punishing. Mm. And Milos was there the whole way. Going, you can do it. You're a lion, heart of a lion. Yeah. Come on, Justin, heart <laughs> of a lion. Yeah. You know, like, and it, just pushing him through. Yeah. You know, it was it was barbell lunges. It was back squats. Yeah. Squats. It was leg. It was everything. Leg extensions. Then it was drop sets on the mm. pendulum squat. Mm. It, it was just as brutal. Mm. as brutal a quad mm. workout as you could possibly put together and it was mm. madness madness yeah. and, and to go through some, I'm not suggesting that this camp is, <laughs> is going to be like that no but you'll definitely be taken to some uncomfortable places and it's yes. a growth experience i, for I understand sure. the point you're making absolutely yeah. and uh, i think that's uh, how um shout out to andy bell i think he re- resides every time he trains he yeah. uh, he's gone back for multiple times with uh, Milos and uh, yeah. I think there's for YouTube Andy Bell Milos Sanchev you can watch him do a over in um, uh, Dubai you can watch him do a leg session just re- I think just last year mm. and still the same just like it's a 45 minute giant set yeah so not doing Non-stop, the same exercise yeah. twice just <laughs> following uh, Andy Bell around and, yeah. and, and Milos yelling at him the whole time but but Andy just uh, I've never seen anyone train as hard as what that guy does yeah. he just yeah. and he just revels in it just loves it loves like, it that's just just how he does it yeah different so, uh, psychology uh, altogether absolutely mind-boggling but yeah uh, kudos to Delahanty. I do recall that as well yeah. absolutely hilarious from the outside looking <laughs> in but but yeah disgusting yeah. But now um, anyway we'll be with uh, the muscle doctor Jordan Shallow very shortly a little bit of uh, disruption there that's alright snap crackle and pop there Right, well, here we are, Rawdon. Mm. Um, lots to get through today, so we mm. won't polywaffle around too much. But no. exciting to have the muscle doctor, Dr. Jordan Shallow, uh-huh. back on the line. Mm. And we're going to go balls deep into a hypertrophy series, and this is exciting. Yeah, and look, for um, as far as uh, powerlifters go, he's uh, one of the more bodybuilding-like powerlifters. And I think that, I yeah. mean, you'll clarify this in a second, Jordo, but... I think that was his, his grassroots, his bodybuilding. That's what got him into it, into this uh, world. And mm. then he transitioned over to powerlifting. And I think, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, he's making a bit of a resurgence back into bodybuilding for a while. And then uh, who, who knows where he'll go from there. Welcome back to the podcast, Jordo. Oh, no, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. It's always fun. So there's uh, a million things going on in your world, and mm. we'll touch on a few of them. But. Charles Pollockham was quite a large influence on your career and someone that you respected very highly. So um, wouldn't mind just getting your thoughts on the sad passing of Charles. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone who touches a weight is a debt of gratitude to Charles. Like, I remember reading articles. Don't I don't think I've front squatted more than six reps in the past eight years because of an article <laughs> that I read on Pollockham about like upper back <laughs> fatigue causing like being the rate limiting factor. Yeah. Yeah. And I hang my hat on that. And I think... Yeah. I think so many people don't understand how deep the roots of Poliquin's thinking goes across yeah. strength sports, across just the whole fitness industry. Like you don't need too many orders of uh, or deviations away um, yeah. to find Charles' hand kind of in some influence in the supplement industry. Um, he was the first one that sort of you know looked at at nervous system recovery. He was the one that popularized. Um, to a lot of things like uh, how you cross over strength and conditioning principles into hypertrophy or vice versa where hypertrophy can lend itself into like uh, strength and conditioning and athletic performance. So yeah. it, when you really look at at the, the people who, who are considered thought leaders and influencers or whatever term you want to use, if you looked at the collective on that day when he passed of people who are widely yeah. looked to for information, who, wi- who all 
look to Charles for their at least their motivation or their start. Mm. I, I, I it'll be it'll be a long time coming before we see another Charles Poliquin. Yeah, I, uh, that's interesting. You um your point. I completely all those things were, were bang on, and uh, I think like to this day I, I still dorsiflex and uh, plantar flex when I do hamstring curls. <laughs> you know, I was like dorsiflex, plantar flex. <laughs> yeah. You got it. What are you doing, man? Turn your first toes inwards. So yeah, I think there would be a lot of polyquinisms that uh, are in all our programs to this day, yeah, for and sure. will stay. Yeah. You know, like I mentioned uh, previously, you know, had a, had a, a relationship with him, so it was uh, yeah, really uh, quite a strange feeling. And I think a few others have actually said to me, you know, that we we thought that Charles would like legitimately he'd be one of the few that live forever. You know, that we thought he was his uh, knowledge on uh, health and uh, longevity. You know, it's just uh, came as a bit of a a bit of a shock and uh, very abrupt, but you know, like um, it, it, I think we'd all, all three of us here, and, and most of our listeners would agree that he certainly uh, did things his way, and um, you know, zero f's given to people that contradicted him and uh, stood his ground, and uh, you know, he was, he was a personality and a character in a in an industry where I think uh, some strength of character is lacking. So yeah, he'd be missed. Yeah, I mean, without being too cliched, right? Like, and that's exactly what will live forever with Charles is that attitude, mm, right? And exactly. I think that's that's above all else, above the dorsiflexion, plantar flexion, hamstring curl, front <laughs> squat, six rep, all that stuff, vitamin D articles for like a year and a half, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think what will really carry on is is it, the people that he's touched that they've they've drawn that piece from him, that mm, yeah. that 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 purpose, that steadfast in your convictions because yes. he had you know he had the he had the juice to back it up man and a lot right. of these people kind of now coming up they there's no there's no cynicism there's no cynicism there's no criticism it's mm. you know there's social equity in, in in social media i have this many followers listen to me it's like mm. uh proof's in the pudding with a guy like charles man and mm. it's sad to, it's sad to have to have this conversation um mm. kind of um uh, posthumously without him around it still hasn't really resonated with me totally I don't think no mm. likewise okay well uh, moving right along so uh, a lot's been happening in your world uh, Jordo um, tour down under with uh, the B pack I, I gather on the cards yeah man I think the cat's out of the bag on social media for that one so we're just trying to uh, get the logistics squared away tentatively looks like um, January 2019 we'll be doing uh, Sydney yep uh, Gold Coast uh, Perth and then Melbourne uh, Melbourne likely going to be that uh, Australia Day weekend uh, the way things are shaping up now absolutely awesome and a, a few uh, really cool facilities I think uh, at all four of them are pretty uh pretty decent facilities you're going to be running the show at so uh i think doherty's in perth and uh melbourne and um uh kingdom gym here in sydney and uh was it genesis uh where was it in queensland yeah so a gentleman uh, who owns genesis nutrition warehouse i hope i'm not getting that wrong sam uh sam pinnell he actually has a private warehouse facility and it's just it's just kitted out head to toe it's unbelievable awesome Uh, so he was generous enough to offer that up uh, for the second stop in Gold Coast. So yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, we were talking about Kingdom Off Air, massive facility, all the mm. bells and whistles, uh, and then, you know, being able for me personally, being able to cap it off. Uh, hopefully, I mean, we're still waiting for the ink to dry on this, but the Doherty's in in Perth and especially in Brunswick and Melbourne, that's yeah. going to be the uh, that's going to be the date that's that's definitely circled on my calendar. Yeah, and you've uh, we said off air you've been to uh, uh, the Brunswick facility in um, Doherty's in Brunswick, and that's pretty 
pretty uh, amazing there, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I, I compare it to, it's like it's like Gold's Venice, man. Yeah. It's just the vibe, the intensity, the crowd. Like, people are super nice, super yeah. friendly, but they're they're about it. And there's, you know, you have, like, the legendary characters that are always there. Like, the old guy that helps load your plates and no one yeah. really knows what his deal is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you just got, you know, you got some of the lifers. We also have, like, a bit of the fighting culture in the back, too. Yeah. And, you know, you, there's bikies rolling in and out of there. It's kind of like, I don't know how safe I feel. It's always, it's always yeah. a good time, man. I, I love it. I better train hard or I'll get thrown out of the place type thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I like that it keeps everyone honest. Yeah, man. And so there's going to be, uh, you'll be doing a seminar and then into a, a training camp style thing. Rodan, I think you, well, we both, oh, we both did the, uh, the BPAC Mate, seminar. That um, destroyed me. It's what so year was that? Was it 2013. 2013. I think it was 2013, Tommy, but. It was just horrific. Like, yeah, dude. Like, for anyone that's listening, they're, they're going to do the, uh, and look, his, his technique has evolved uh, immensely mm. uh, since then. I know he's uh, doing some pretty crazy things with techniques these days, so I'm sure you'll learn a lot. From the uh, the the training side of things, the 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 seminar and uh, also the training, but uh, but dude, like uh, in all honesty, Jordo, it was the uh, the um, training camp that destroyed me for all other training camps. I yeah, don't th- I, I'm I'm never going to do another training, training camp, camp because of what BPAC uh, put all of us collectively through, and it was a big group too. I think we had a good thirty or so mm. people, and it was just. Five days. I think I came back for the one on the Saturday, and then there was this bonus. Come on Saturday, so I went. Yeah, let's do that as well. And uh, it was five and a half that days. One, of yeah, that that Saturday was like I think there were three workouts in the day. Yeah, and um, the challenge is you just you can't get any food in. Yeah, like you finish one workout and you're still a bit nauseous and everything. You, so you get it was a twice or three times a day training with all of them. Was it twice? All of them, I think, were twice, and then yeah. the Saturday was three, three times. times. Yeah, and you've just done more work than you've ever done yeah and and you just haven't eaten anything and it just takes days yeah. to recover so i think that was 2013 i've just yeah. the doms have just uh, <laughs> settling down just now. settling down now yeah. with uh, you know thousands of kilos of protein between but uh yeah dude it was it was horrific yeah benny's a workhorse man and, and that's the thing you uh you look at some of the bodybuilders today and and uh, yeah you know work ethic whatever but he's one that i think he definitely did did the most with the least because he he his yeah. approach is so mm. articulate it's so yep. everything has an intent and that's mm. i think what you're going to get a, the big takeaway with this is you know i see it and i don't want to pick on australians but there's a lot of a lot of kids coming up now the entrepreneurial types and we're all trying to make it but you know a remote program design is one thing sure and i'm all about it and if that's your business that's your business but yeah. if you can't execute an exercise with the expressed intent and understand the underlying biomechanics and understand where this process is going to break down and how to program around it you, you can write the best program in the world but if the exercise yeah. selection isn't there and uh, i was someone who you know thought he knew a thing or two about training a muscle uh, and just Ben's approach to it is is so different, and that's the contrast that we're going to kind of bring to the table in the seminar is how you can, like, the, what lenses you can look through in training different muscle groups, and and how to how to systematize that and parameterize that in a program. Mm, Absolutely awesome. Exciting. Well, we're going to give him a bit of a this this series that we're going to record three part series with uh, we're going to record with you, Jordan. We'll give our our listeners a bit of an insight into uh, some of your take on on that whole uh, bodybuilding and. Um, muscle activation recruitment biomechanics and all the cool stuff we're going to work our way through the body 
Um, Tommy, you were interested in uh, how he, Jordo, uh, transitioned from powerlifting over to bodybuilding, yeah? Yeah, Jordo, I'm just in, interested in um, what you've learnt making the transition and uh, what sort of physical response your body has actually had through the, uh, the change in stimulus. Yeah, so I mean, it, this is full circle for me, as you mentioned, right? Like, I think like most people who get into kind of, you know, general health and fitness in high school, you're doing bicep curls and chest, you know, 13 days out of the week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hypertrophy is always the main focus, right? It's a bit of it's a bit of juvenile peacocking. Um, but for me, like I found the easiest way to put on size uh, continuously at that age was just mechanical stress. Like I didn't really wor- worry too much about like... Um, like developing metabolic strategies or anything like that my diet wasn't what it should be and um so the mechanical tension side was really something that i focused on and for me the best way to all the all the efforts i expended in in learning about how to get bigger was actually just learning how to get stronger to some Mm -hmm. respects and doing that through planes of motion and with technique that was sustainable long term and that was where a lot of my counterparts as, as a as a teenager kind of fell apart where they didn't appreciate the technique and, and you hit that bottleneck where you get hurt or or something happens and you stop progressing by just increasing um, mechanical tension, tension to drive muscle damage. Mm-hmm. Um, so the transition into powerlifting was, was fairly smooth because it's like, oh, just more weight on the bar, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I've been putting more weight on the easy curl bar for preacher curls for the last five years. Maybe I'll just put more weight on my back or in my hands. Um, but yeah. now coming back to it, uh, it's, it's shone a lot of light on, on the differences in the training um, and how you have to read. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong. Both are just brutally hard if if your if you're expressed intent is to actually uh, start to drive the adaptation that each requires. Um, mm. Coming from powerlifting into bodybuilding, it's yeah. been nice because what I find benefits me the most now because I've been training so strict as a powerlifter for so many years is that now what I'm looking for is more of a novel stimulus adaptation rather than in strength. I have to be very specific with my exercise selection, um, very specific with my progressive overload um, because you know that metabolic stress isn't going to give you or yield you the benefits in increasing strength for your compound movements like it will in increasing um, the muscle damage and creating an environment hormonally within your body or, or metabolically within your body to achieve the outcome of growth. So it's been nice to be able to, and I don't want to say not have a plan, but mm-hmm. you know, when you're prepping for a meet and you have, if you have eyes on a number, it's like, you got to start hitting these numbers. Like it, it's, I would say the main difference is that metabolic versus neurologic pursuit, roughly speaking, because there is, there is some overlap where, you know, increasing cross-sectional area will improve strength mm-hmm. and improving strength will also improve your ability to create that, that metabolic damage. So yeah, but now just you know, coming from my you know a more powerlifting focus to bodybuilding focus, like training things in isolation has been such a relief just yeah. on my nervous system. I can mm. sleep at night, yeah. you know. I I my body composition's improved. I don't have sleep apnea while I'm awake, which is a new <laughs> thing for which is fantastic. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah so it's it's been fun. It's been fun just switching focus like off. The scale and off the barbell and off the weights and yeah. kind of just looking in the mirror and and also getting back to some of the fundamental principles of training muscles in isolation without losing without losing sight of kind of my core tenets of, of how I think of training as a whole and, and where my rate limiters have been in the past when I have succumbed to injury so still incorporating a lot of that stability work that I talk about but 
superimposing a whole new style of, of stimulus out of patients and it's been a riot um psychologically a little easier to deal with mate i would assume it wouldn't be as uh like for me when i was not that i've competed in powerlifting but you know I've, we've discussed with you some of the numbers i've i've lifted not too shabby but for me it was always uh you know the lead up to doing those lifts it was almost uh as unpleasant as doing the lifts you know do you find psychologically it's a little easier to deal with hypertrophy or bodybuilding style training as opposed to uh the powerlifting so at the recreational level yes but like i'm trying to really you know i kind of want to i don't want to say on on air that i'll, I'll <laughs> do a show but yeah. at some point, I would like to look the part of an actual bodybuilder, not just like a powerlifter with a bicep yeah, yeah, vein yeah, that people yeah. think is jacked. It's like, yeah. well, no, no, no. There's, there's, see what these guys are doing over here? They're proper jacked. Yeah. Uh, I would say what gets me, honestly, because I'm kind of full bore into this, is, yeah, the psychological, the draining, the 12 weeks out, I got to be lifting this, 10 weeks out, I got to be lifting this. I just mm -hmm. trade that off for like, wait, so you're telling me I can't have cheesecake tonight? Well, this is bullshit. So it's like that the diet side, like the more the lifestyle side, you know, creating sure. creating an environment where you can adapt to that isolated metabolic stress and, and expedite your progress that way. It's and and that's the thing, like I, I joke coming from powerlifting to bodybuilding and I'll say that it's easier. Um, it, it's easier in some respects, but it's equally as hard um, but just to a different tune, more difficult. And I think one of the difficulties for me, and, and not someone who's kind of went off the rails diet-wise with powerlifting, trying to keep somewhat of a favorable body composition, but to see what it takes to even just you know lose a couple of percent uh, and, and gain some lean body mass in the process is is really is really trying. So, yeah, in some ways, yes, but and and also equal number of ways, no. It's it's just a different kind of challenge. Hmm. Yeah, I think we'll put a different challenge, but for me, it's more of a like more work, I guess, with with hypertrophy, like the process. You just got to not as a, an intense level, but but grind it out for a longer duration. It's that you just got to be prepared to do the work. That's how I sort of perceive the two. Whereas, you know, there's quite a, a lot of you know slapping yourself in the face and ah, you know before you do your <laughs> your deadlift. You know, it's it's for me, it's an easier uh, easier. Um, training stimulus to deal with i suppose on a regular basis anyway i just think your body has more use for it your body has more use for strength than being like you know fuck off big i think like yeah. you know if you were to stop eating for a couple of days you'd lose weight but you wouldn't necessarily lose strength and i think that mm. further highlights or illustrates the point or the dividing line that i make between the yeah. two is one being neurologic and one being metabolic where it's like you know, when you don't eat for a few days, your yeah. metabolism gets prioritized and you start eating yourself so you don't die. Yeah. Your nervous system is still very well protected. And yep. Your body's set up in a way to protect vital parts of your nervous system from mm -hmm. like, if you look at a homunculus of your brain, like the most important parts of your nervous system are buried deepest within the, the fissures between your brain. So it's a very, it's a very sophisticated way that your nervous system gets protected. Thus its abilities to express itself get protected. So I think, yeah. mm. I think strength is something that, um, and, and rightfully or equally so is when you try and reintroduce strength training, like you can, you can, you can kind of get that people call muscle memory back a lot quicker. Yeah. You can get your strength back a lot quicker than you can get your hypertrophy because your body has, doesn't need to have 22 inch arms. It's yeah. fucking yeah. awesome. Don't like when yeah. you have 20 inch arms, it's if you haven't tried it, definitely try it. It's yeah. amazing. It's like the best thing ever. But like, there's yeah. no conceivable reason why your body needs to have yeah. these ham hocks hanging off your shoulders. So yeah. 
um, yeah, it's 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 just it's just an interesting change of focus because you yeah. like you said you do have to you do you do need to go through the paces day in day out and mm. it's like you know when I was powerlifting yeah you know I'd eat when I was hungry I was hungry a lot because I was lifting a lot but there'd mm. be times where nah I, I don't really feel like eating breakfast I'm gonna just go to work mm. now it's like you know you gotta you gotta stay committed to the process because every yeah. one of those missed breakfasts is gonna make a difference mm. um, so yeah it, it's. I, at the risk of sounding cliched, I, I perhaps bodybuilding more a lifestyle, as the kids on Instagram say. Yeah. So what? Um, just to wrap this one up, Jordan, give us the data, mate. Well, how has the body actually changed? Were we talking scale weight, skin folds? What's what's going on? Uh, definitely like waist circumference coming down. Yep. Um, yeah. And that's the thing. Like going into my last meet, I was going up a weight class, so I was definitely on the heavier side. Um, so right now, just. I'm only going off mirror right now yep. until which that starts stops to change, and then I'll kind of go a little bit more, um, a little bit more deeper into the into the biometric side of things. I have been playing around <clears throat> with heart rate variability, um, and that's more of a means to measure neurological recovery because mm-hmm. uh, I am trying to I am trying to stay strong, and I think if you understand the biomechanics and I think this will be a good segue as we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of this is if you understand the biomechanics, the most intelligent way to put on size is through a series of progressive overload, right? Like, you know, I, some of my favorite bodybuilders, Ben, obviously one of them, um, you know, a modern guy, someone like a Jordan Peters out of the UK. Um, and and they all seem to resonate uh, like a Dorian Yates style of training, right? Where, you just need to, to do something you've kind of never done before. One more set, one more rep, five more kilos. Um, so it, without getting too you know, esoteric with blood flow restriction and, and using a lateral raise machine as a bicep curl, there's some sort of yeah. novel thing. It's like I'm still trying to drive my hypertrophy by creating that muscle damage, by driving that mechanical tension with strength. Um, but if you feed the body differently um, – and you start to look at the measures of where you're going to downfall neurologically in that pursuit because that's going to be my bottleneck. Um, so HRV is, is something that I've been introducing as, as a means of um, tracking that metabolic dis- or that neurologic distress and trying to program around that and, and making sure that I am fully recovered. Like, you know, the days of, oh, my muscle's not sore anymore and now I'm going to train it are, are hopefully soon uh, behind us mm. as far as antiquated notions go. And then, uh, because we're, that's not what we're here to talk about today, but the heart rate variability. So heart rate's up higher than what it typically normally is. And then what? You use that as a gauge to adjust volume or rest day or how would it play into your world? You know what? Right now I'm, I'm treating this. This is very much experimental because a lot of – and this is – you know, this is across the board, and I think you guys run into this as well. When you when you analyze research that put that's put out in sports performance, it's research done by researchers for researchers. It's not done for athletes. It's not you can't extrapolate the data out. So heart rate variability is basically um, it, it measures like just millisecond differences in your R waves on your on your um, like on a heartbeat, right? So actually what you're looking for and a good measure of parasympathetic activity is you actually get a lot of variability um, throughout the course of the day if you're not kind of digging yourself into a into a, like a, a high neural output, if you're not saying too sympathetic and you are being able to tilt the scales more to the parasympathetic. So you're looking for a higher reading and that heart rate variability. Um, uh, there's, you know, your Apple Watch will do it. There's actually a cool ring that I've been toying with. Yeah. Um, 
that has some really and it's the ring tracks constantly throughout the day um and so it's a matter of like if you actually start to see a lower number you're in a higher sympathetic state so there's less variability between your heartbeats throughout the right. day on average so less um, less high and then less low so the the, the it was more high all day long so mm. there's, there's you know zero variability that's what you don't want well no the thing is what they're saying is that's what you do you want high variability you want a high number yeah. but i'm saying if i'm going to be training hard i want to see how low i can go because right, right, right. i think i think athletic performance in exists on an inverted bell curve where sure when i'm super recovered fine but man if anyone's ever played conventional sports like if you played rugby if you played hockey if you played football, you some of your best performances, you were closing, like you were falling asleep in the dressing room before the game, mm. and you found that extra gear. So I, right now, I'm just tracking the data and trying yeah. to find, you know, key performance indicators that are correlating with what I'm seeing, and then when I have a better idea how it how it gonna how it's gonna affect my training long term, then I'll start to implement strategies based off yeah. that information. But it's still real early stages. All right, very cool, man. All right, awesome. Tom, where are we going to go? Well, let's start. We, we mapped this out. We thought we'd go uh, three sections based yep. around our, uh, you know, a, a very basic three-day split, chest and back being the first way that we'll hit it. And, Rorden, if there's one muscle group which uh, is the bane of most males' existence, it is hmm. the chest. The bench press. The uh, chesticular How much do you bench? That's <laughs> and, all we um, want to know. How often do you see in, uh, in the gym just the variety of different chest-based exercises yeah. being done at any one time. Usually on a Monday, <laughs> yeah. International Chest Day. <laughs> and a Wednesday, and a and Friday, a, yeah, and a true. Saturday morning. True. Um, so we thought we'd start with chest. So we're going to have a look at principles about this to start with. Then we'll go into some compounds and some isolations, and we'll break yeah. it all down, and, and Jordo will do his thing. Uh, Jordo, any opening statements about training chest? I, I mean, if there's any beginners listening, the bench press might be your worst exercise to do it. And that's coming okay. from a power lifter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that gets controversial commonly. straight off the bat. Okay, yeah, I just think, elaborate. I, mean, I, I don't even know from a, a research base or even an applied science base that that it can be refuted. Like, mm. I think if hypertrophy is the goal and that's the overarching theme, the the flat bench press is. The range of motion can be longer through the plane that's loaded. I think the overarching thing that people should remember with hypertrophy, I don't care who your gym god is, gravity. Gravity is going to exist. Gravity works straight to the center of the earth. So you need to align yourself and your leverages between the resistance and gravity in a way that's going to oppose with intent the muscle group you're trying to work. Um, so I think very good. That's a, that's an umbrella topic that you can you can carry over to anything because I think a big difference between powerlifting and and hypertrophy training is when I'm powerlifting I'm trying to find the most mechanical way mm. the most mechanically advantageous way to move a bar from A to B. Yeah. Right. Um, where in in hypertrophy style training and bodybuilding it's a lot of times we're trying to actually create a disadvantaged position for the muscle to create that damage to create that metabolic distress and create that mechanical tension with ideally using less weight to start in disadvantaged positions then you can actually start to overload you know heavier weights in these disadvantaged positions and through force and leverage we can actually create a lot more muscle damage if we're trying to purposefully disadvantage the muscle group in question. Okay, awesome. a bit of a uh, umbrella statement there for uh, all muscle groups. 
So with the bench press, Jordo, can you just unpack in simple terms why that is a bad exercise? Well, I guess particularly from a beginner's perspective, but why generally speaking that is a bad exercise for pectoral activation <laughs> pectoral and, 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 and uh, hypertrophy? Yeah, so pec major, two heads, sternoclavicular, the majority coming off the sternum, that's going to be the bulk of it. Uh, a quick Quick aside, I don't care how many times you do close grip presses or whatever, there's no pectus internus. Your inner pec does not fucking exist. So please, <laughs> for the love of God, okay. stop saying that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, creating mechanical stress across forehead curves, I understand. Uh, but just like strength, it doesn't really matter how you feel. Um, there's only kind of the, the hard truths of, of the way we're going to load these muscles. So, uh, yeah, so the two heads of the pec, a lot of people will reference the pec minor as another pec from an aesthetic standpoint. Yeah. Pec minor is a scapular stabilizer that comes off the coracoid process, which is a bony prominence of the shoulder blade. Comes, uh, it comes sort of ventral through the front of the rib cage and attaches down to ribs three and five. So that deals with more scapular positioning uh, yeah. and not really something that we should be addressing. Most people think that they, they strain the pec they think they strain their pec minor. It's like, yeah, that's a bit of a reach. Likely, um, the pec minor also starts where the short head of biceps and uh, coracobrachialis uh, attach onto. So more likely, those the culprit of damage if you are getting that pec pain. Okay. Um, but yeah, so plain and simple, the the pec major is going to flex, adduct, and internally rotate the shoulder. So we need to pick not only exercises with hypertrophy, but also like loading strategies that's going to, so basically pick a plane of movement that you're going to be resisting most through. So is it going to be flexion extension? Is it going to be through rotation or is it going to be through adduction, abduction? And then yeah. kind of, it's almost like a, I look at hypertrophy almost like a Rolodex. Like think of like, are you guys familiar with West side, like West side style training for powerlifting? Conjugate and all Band, yeah. yeah, bands, chains, boxes, <laughs> guys helping each other get dressed, all that shit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so Very I good, almost yep. look at hypertrophy-style training through a west side lens because they were constantly varying stimulus, right? Mm. They, you know, this week we're going to squat to boxes on with 140-pound chains with a safety squat bar. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, 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 we're not trying to cause a mechanical disadvantage for when we squat. If this is going to change my technique – then this is not something I want to be pursuing because I'm going to appreciate a lot of my strength by improving my technique. But I think that principle of waving stimulus adaptation and changing force curves and all that is fucking awesome for building muscle hypertrophy because we're trying to constantly have a novel stimulus um, be driving the the muscular damage, the, the metabolic damage, and also the mechanical stress. So yeah. I, I think... Well, we can pick exercises, but we also need to understand some principle or not even understand, but uh, maybe shine light on some some principle way or novel way of implementing each exercise to double down on its strong points, like a rest pause set versus a drop set versus, uh, you know, maybe occlusion or blood flow restriction, like all these inner set variables that can really help drive hypertrophy if that's the main focus. Okay, sounds uh, sounds really good. So you gave us an overview of the pec, a ducks internally rotates. Let's step sideways and uh, break down the, the... I mean, you started the statement uh, at the top, the bench press being... Uh, Cam Cam was making notes and he, he wrote bench press and he went, scribble it out once you said that it was no good for beginners. So let's explore that one before we get into the meat and nuts. Mm. Yeah, uh, I just think 
it's it's just like you said, right? It's kind of common lore in the gym. It's like, what do you bench? Uh, mm-hmm. I think training the bench press as a movement, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it will target the deltoids, the triceps, depending on grip width. You're going to vary the involvement of those secondary and tertiary muscle groups of the action or uh, actions of, uh, of the movement. But uh, I think for me, it is always starting with a unilateral movement first to, I mean, again, I'm a big proponent of stability training. Like yeah. if someone is shaky with a barbell when they first start benching, it's like they shouldn't have a barbell in their hand because they're going to be 10 times shakier with dumbbells in their hands. So yep. being able to control um, individually without loading into our structure is a good place to start. Um, so I think the bench press can be an effective way to like overload um, maybe like the nervous system to build strength. And then we could use that strength uh, coupled with other strategies to drive the other two major factors of hypertrophy, mm-hmm. the muscle damage and the metabolic, the metabolic uh, stress. But I think as a pure isolation, it's, it's almost – it's not – Perhaps it's too compound, is that's what I'm trying to say? It has too mm. much involvement mm. of other muscle groups to really isolate in any particular motion against any sort of force, flexion, adduction, and internal rotation of the pec. Okay. And is it is it there also a range of motion type issue there where the bar sort of can only get to the, the sternum and then, you know, the scapula, you know, they've retracted, they've, they've tapped out, bar on the chest, so you're only taking the pec through a limited range of motion and we can all three of us and cam as well agree that probably range of motion is pretty influential when we're talking about hypertrophy uh is that another uh, you know rabbit's ears fault if you will of the of the like a barbell bench press yeah i mean it just plays into that that theory or that principle of neither the three end ranges of motion are reaching an end range mm-hmm. you can't over rotate because your wrists are locked into a bar and your wrist is going to have to express the rotation of the shoulder you can't get into end range extension because like you mentioned the bar is going to hit your chest before you get into any kind of real end range extension of the of the back and then you can't externally rotate for the the fact that you're too abducted and that your wrist is fixed to the bar so it's just you're going half measures on all three movements, which again, you know, in conjunction with progressive overload could be good for building strength. And indirectly that strength can be used to build hypertrophy, but as a bang for your buck exercise, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a bodybuilder that really hangs their hat on, on that particular one as the staple in their program. And Jordo, does that apply across all angles? If we start going incline or decline, is it just those are the limiting factors you'll find with barbell work? Well, I mean, we could talk angles, but we could also talk grip, right? I think there's fairly good research to show that the underhand grip bench press is going to recruit a lot more muscle fibers. And again, we need to put an asterisk by this, that recruitment is going to be derived in a lot of times from surface EMG studies. So take that with a grain of salt. Mm, yeah. um, but yeah, because I think uh, you just need to think of the three planes. I think if we're going to an inclined plane, that's likely where the majority of people will preference who are looking for bang for your buck pressing exercises because you are afforded, you know, I don't know, three to four or five inches more shoulder extension yeah. um, without being at such an incline that you're actually starting to load the anterior delt a little bit more as you press in the overhead plane. Um, so I, and then it varies, right? Cause then you get into the conversation, just like there's not a pectus internus, there's no inner pec. There's also no <laughs> lower pec either. Um, yeah. and maybe you just want to try and bench four plates on a decline press and look cool, but you're still decline pressing and no one gives a shit. Exactly. Um, so there, there is something that gets lost, but 
you know, this is all from a, like a theoretical standpoint in a lot of ways. Look at, I mean, Ronnie Coleman was famous for just going press, fly all three planes, decline, yeah. press, fly, flat, press, fly, uh, incline, press, incline, fly, six yeah. sets in out gone. But you know, we're not Ronnie Coleman. So yeah. I think maybe a more sophisticated approach might be required. Well, I was just about to say, well, that's chest, uh, <laughs> chest done, done. move on the nice. back. Very nice. <laughs> uh, what, what about, uh, the thought, uh, with the, when we're looking at, uh, incline, decline and flat, you know, flat, yeah, that you mentioned the shoulder issue, you get a greater movement with the shoulder, those extra few inches and let's mm. all three of us, well, four of us, you know, extra yes. few inches wouldn't go astray, <laughs> you know, most of the time, but, um, but the, the flat bench, would that work? more even spread of the of of the chest because you're not uh, recruiting as much of that anterior delt is that a, an argument for consideration well i think you need to depend too right like there's a when i bench press to power lift i bench press a lot different when i power lift than i do if my focus was to reach or attempt to mm -hmm. reach an end range at one of these planes of motion when from a hypertrophy standpoint right because like i've i've stretched a peck good and proper under 200 kilos and i got half of it missing right now so if you find it tell it to come home yeah. so but and i think that's the difference like maybe something like a guillotine press with lighter weight if we're trying to drive yeah. um you know safe and effective and and sustainable uh mechanical tension then a greater level of abduction can be introduced to the flat press to increase the range of motion but I mean, I press, I try to on good days where I'm not tearing my pec off the bone. Yeah. Uh, I try to land that bar kind of, you know, lower sternum, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you'll see guys even lower than that. So um, I think the bench press too has so many different variations uh, and considerations sure. on grip width, whether it's pronated or supinated or overhand or underhand or um, the intent you have on the bar. Are you trying to spread the bar apart? Are you trying to squeeze the bar? Um, but two, the big point, wherever that bar is going to touch in your chest is pretty much going to dictate how abducted your shoulders are. And like you'd mentioned, your flexion extension moment is going to be pretty well standardized by, by the depth of your chest and the length of your arms. Mm. The rotational moment, again, standardized by that grip width. So the narrower the grip, the more rotation you're going to have, the more extension you're going to have, the less abduction adduction you have. So you know, finding that neutral range, maybe abducting a little bit higher, coming up mid sternum where some guys do the guillotine press into the throat. Mm. Maybe something from a bodybuilder's perspective that is um, is going to create a little bit more tension. And when you're that high, I don't think it's necessary to go the bar right to the chest either um, because of the involvement of the anterior delts when you start to get into that hyperextended position of the shoulder. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts when you're dissecting execution of a bench press, whether or not the main driver is going to be hypertrophy or strength. Yeah, okay, okay, cool. So it's a wrap up the the bench press Tommy uh and, and Jordan are, are we sort of leaning more toward a, a dumbbell type scenario for if hypertrophy was was the name of the game? Yeah, I would say I mean dumbbells always to start and this is maybe more for um an introductory or a novice lifter because uh, there are people who you know if you're on dumbbells for a while again I think with hypertrophy the name of the game is novelty how do you introduce a stimulus that your body needs to adapt to so if you're doing the same thing over and over again uh, you've created the strategies needed to be able to recover from that and that's not going to yield the result that you're looking for where it's waving in something new and if something that's something new is a bench press then sure I think you could, you could there's a benefit to be had but for sure. most people maybe starting out 
flat dumbbells, you know, it's going to give you that greater shoulder extension. It'll allow you to express the rotation of your shoulder at the wrist, which I think is long term is very beneficial mm -hmm. because the, the wrist is a mobile joint, right? It's meant to move. Um, but its purpose in moving is to express rotation of the shoulder. Like look at a, look at a major league baseball pitcher, right? When he's done with that pitch and if he's right-handed, the palm of his wrist uh, so the palm of his hand is pronated as an expression of that internal rotation of the shoulder as he tries to put as much of his body behind that ball as he can. Um, that's that's shoulder function, right? We're trying to train the action of the pec. We're not training shoulder yeah. function. And at some point, if we don't understand the difference between the two, that'll be our demise. That'll be our downfall, right? We're going to start having elbow pain. We're going to start having shoulder pain because we're getting a force back from the bar because we're not fully allowing our wrist to move on a barbell. We're fixed. So we have this mobile wrist joint that should be moving when we're loading the shoulder with high force. Yeah. But now all of a sudden we get to an end range and there's nothing functional about the bench press, right? The scap, we're trying to move a humerus on a fixed scapula on a stabilized surface. When it's like compared to the pitch, maybe call the call the pitch the 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 epitome of shoulder function, where the scapula moves on the rib cage, the glenohumeral joint internally rotates, the wrist begins to pronate as a full expression of this kind of whole body movement. Hmm. But on the bench press, where shoulder blades in the back pocket, chest up, heels down, yeah. drive hard towards the rack. It's like there's <laughs> there's nothing functional about that. Yeah, yeah. But it is pretty cool to have a 52 inch chest and have your tailor look at you and be like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do here? Where are the car covers? So, again, right? Like there's, I don't know if function's really the name of the game here. Um, but uh, I, that's, that's, uh, that's the trade off. Okay. Uh, before we, uh, get into your, uh, let's, let's, before we move on from dumbbells, mate, um, there are variations. There are, you know, coming into a neutral grip, a, a pronated grip, a semi-pronated, you know, sort of pronating the dumbbells at the top or, you know, I see some presses sort of starting pronated and then supinating. I think uh, I think a good friend of ours, Nick Mitchell, had a, had a video of doing, doing some of those at some stage, like a supinating dumbbell uh, bench press. Are any of those fancy schmancy things uh gonna increase uh range of motion for the pecs and and are worth considering considering in uh in your your toolbox for uh chest exercises yes and yes and no uh <laughs> the outside chest <laughs> yeah, that wraps that up right along on the back <laughs> uh, okay so i mean there's such thing as paired motor patterns right internal rotation and flexion uh uh, external rotation and extension, right? So when we load that eccentric of the of the dumbbell bench press, let's say, we're externally rotating, abducting, and extending. Those are kind of coupled motor patterns. So the the, the one thing that I would say about the pronated supinated is that's your wrong focal point. And I think I see this a lot when you know when someone does like an Arnold press for shoulders or the supinated pronated rotational press for for chest. Yes, because at the end range, you will have created more torque through the pec at the shoulder. If you externally rotate, you'll have taken it simultaneously to two end ranges. Mm. Now, gravity is still just going straight down. So is there rotation? Is there resistance in rotation? Yeah, I don't know. That's a bit of a stretch, right? Um, so for me, understanding like the force curves uh, and understanding how the leverage and how that joint is going to function 
I think if the focus is at the shoulder, it's I'm okay with it. Like if we looked at external rotation at the shoulder at the bottom and internal rotation at the shoulder at the top, I think the second we start referencing the hand, then people do what fitness people do, and roughly speaking, what people do in general, they 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 conflate or they they put this dose dependent relationship on that muscle action, and they go, oh. So I'm trying to pronate at the top. It's like, no, no, you're trying to internally rotate the shoulder because the pec is shortest when it's internally rotated, flexed, and adducted. If they just hear pronation of the wrist, they're going to start cranking their wrist into pronation, and it's not going to have anything to do with rotation of the shoulder. I can pronate yeah. my wrist mm-hmm. independent to my shoulder moving, but when we when we designate that as a focal point for people, they start to focus on dose dependency. If some is good, more is better, uh, and that's not necessarily mm-hmm. the case. So I think some minor merit in an ability to get into a further end range, like if you bring your you're, you know, even right now sitting at the desk, if you externally rotate, you'll be able to get that shoulder into a little bit more extension. That's likely the benefit, not that you're loading through that yeah. helical axis with the dumbbell. Yeah. The dumbbell's still just driving straight down. The same thing can be said with flies, right? Like a fly in isolation, especially like a flat dumbbell fly, it's like, okay, in what part of that arc are we actually receiving mechanical tension due to gravity, right? So the, the guys who are clinking the dumbbells together at the top, these guys at the gym that everyone hates. <laughs> it's like, dude, once you're once you're parallel or like once your wrist is in line with that glenohumeral joint, there's no more resistance. Like I, I let mm. off with like, you know, you know, Newton is the best gym guru going. Gravity is what's really driving the shit, man. So like yeah. unless you have a unless you have some sort of like resistance band in your hands that's doubled up yeah. behind your back that's providing force within that plane then that you know you can shorten the muscle all you want voluntarily but you're not shortening it uh, shortening it under any kind of load you know mm. short i have a 100 pound dumbbell in my hands lay out a flat bench and adduct my shoulder past midline it's going to be the same amount of force required if i did it with no dumbbell at all the dumbbells went straight down yeah. Right. So yeah. I think that's yep. a principle that you got to understand, whether with free weights or machines. Machines, it's a little bit trickier because you need to actually assess the the arc of the cam and and mm. where that where the peak force is going to be throughout that range of motion. And you know, there's cool machines coming out now. Mm. It's been and kind of the fun part of getting back into the bodybuilding training is like, man, they've been working on some of these machines like they're the fucking cure for cancer. It's like, yeah, bro. Holy Christ, guy. Uh, Granted, still some of my favorite machines are the old school stuff, but yeah. some of it's really clever. Yeah, very, very cool. Okay, right. excellent. So uh, that's uh, maybe for the fancy schmancy, but uh, just bear in mind gravity. And you could argue, well, you could do an extra two and a half kilo heavier dumbbell without getting too schmancy, mm. and that might uh, might drive a little mm. more hypertrophy. So, and the the reason behind the fancy schmancy, well, might not it's be for too. Instagram posts. <laughs> yes, that's right. You know, <laughs> so we've got to complicate things, Tom. If we go and have a look at a few exercises now, compounds and isolations, just extrapolating from what Jordo said there. Bench pressing, from a hypertrophy perspective, a great investment over time to build strength that can then transfer into your hypertrophy work, Mm. but potentially uh, the dumbbell might provide a little bit more bang for buck from a a pectoral hypertrophy without too much fancy schmanciness without too much fancy schmanciness so how do we how do we start rating from the uh, muscle doctor scale compound lifts for chest jordo uh, I would look at ones that are least likely to cause injury. That's just kind of the lens of which I look at it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Or provide you information that is going to tell you where your late rate limiters are before it's too late. Um, so that's why I like the inclined dumbbell press. The That 
more overhead position of the shoulder without being full overhead, mm -hmm. that gives us information. Like we can hide a lot of dysfunction in the medium of the barbell because we're loading into structure more, and we can load we can hide a lot of information in the angle in which the shoulders flex relative to the scapula. Right as we move the glenohumeral joint into increasing end ranges of motion, whether it be flexion or abduction or extension or what have you, um, we rely more on functional stability than structural stability. So we think of where like if we drew an angle uh, degrees between the humerus and the scapula when we were bench pressing at most we're at about 90 degrees right the scapula is kind of along the bench and the humerus is, is straight up at the top and we actually move into positions of more structural stability as the bar reaches our chest where now if we look at the relative angle on an incline press between the scapula and the humerus now we're at a lot more uh, obtuse angle we're at a higher angle of which is going to dictate less structural stability more need for function so say we're pressing at a 45 degree incline rather than a flat bench we've actually just given ourselves a window into shoulder function a 45 degree opening of that window where it's like, okay, if we're going to have dysfunction of the shoulder when we flat press, likely it's going to show up when we incline press first if it's, a, if it's a dysfunction problem, not a structural problem. So things like, I like the incline dumbbell because it gives us a little bit more information to, to see what the shoulder's doing, right? Because we got to understand, there's full range of motion of an exercise, but there's also full range or full range of motion of a muscle group is not necessarily full range of motion of a joint that that muscle group acts on. Right. And this is where a lot of people lose the plot. Like we'll get into this when we talk about rear delt flies. Like if we're trying to train the rear delt, we're not necessarily trying to train the range of motion of like transverse abduction or extension. We're just trying to train the delts contribution to that range of motion. So yeah, that's yeah, why I like yeah. the inclined dumbbell press because it's a little bit more true. There's less of a dissonance between the range of motion of the exercise and the range of motion of the muscle as it contributes to that movement. Um, isolation stuff. I mean, I like something like a machine fly with a fairly smart cam or if you don't have a fairly smart cam, changing the force curve yourself. Um, so maybe start overemphasizing the shortened position on like a cable fly. And then slowly starting to open that up, um, and then you know if you can't change the cam, like you don't have, I think Prime is is the main company right now that's allowing you to change force curves through the range of motion on their machines. Changing your body mechanics so you're overloading at different parts of the workout, different parts of the range of motion that that that, that muscle group is going to be uh, in charge of as you load it. Um, so a cable fly, I think, is from a hypertrophy standpoint. If we're looking to drive metabolic stress with low risk of damaging the joint that's involved, I think that can be fairly beneficial. Hmm. I do like some of the fancy schmancy stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm one for you know using band resistance to get that extra resistance in adduction, um, whether it be um, a flat dumbbell fly, inclined dumbbell fly, something like a power fly, where it's like you're you're allowing a little bit of elbow bend at the top, but then trying to fully extend the elbow um, at the top. It's kind of like a hybrid between a press and a fly. Yep. That's found its way in my, into my programming. Yeah, I um, like that. That's a nice one. Yeah, and then the rest of it, honestly, is it's going to be more. It's going to be more like that Rolodex that I flip through of interset variability. That's really going to drive the novelty stimulus that I need to yep. start building hypertrophy. Okay. And right, how do I increase time under tension? Right, 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 right. Okay. So, come so back then we're to talking the about metabolite buildup, drop sets, all that cool stuff. And and what about the uh, using the same principles, I guess, for an incline flat that type of stuff, but. 
you know, the you mentioned the prime, but the hammer strength, the plate loaded. I mean, for me, that feels like you, you can get into a, you know, a nice, uh, a greater range of, like when I hop on that, you know, my elbow feels like it's back a little further than a, than a, um, a barbell bench press. I think the handles must be sort of either side of the pec more so. What about those for um, comparable to the dumbbell press? Uh, somewhere between dumbbell and, and barbell bench press. What do you think of the the hammer or plate loaded machines? Yeah, I mean, I I live on them in the off season. Like getting into a bodybuilding, it's a good it's a good way if you can make the machine fit you. So yeah. what I found now yeah. is I've had to do a lot of those machines unilateral. Because when I'm trying to load both at the same time, I feel like I'm outside, like I'm like a standard deviation outside of the normal range that this was built for. Um, so I need to arrange my body in a certain way where it feels as it should, and my pec is is being matched with the resistance of the curve of that uh, of that lever arm that the machine makes. Um, at a point where it's it's continuous with like proper joint mechanics because mm-hmm. I find myself when you know if I got a flat hammer strength press and I'm trying to get both hands in there it's a bit of a struggle to to actually sit down and get my you know Likewise, torso yeah. around where the handles are and so yeah I, I like them it's it's a good happy medium it allows you to keep that one track but yeah do it empty like do the do the do the machine empty first to understand. Mm-hmm where you have to keep that elbow behind the wrist, right? Because I yeah. see a lot of wasted yeah. energy and a lot of wasted intent on these machines because people are like, their elbows are flared up above their wrist. And it's like, dude, you need to press this way. And your your pressing angle needs to change because this machine's only going one way. Mm. With a dumbbell, mm. the dumbbell's going to go anywhere you tell it to go. Yes. Um, so if you don't have continuity in your joint positions as you move through that range of motion, the machine's gonna push back, right? So in a mm. lot of way, that fixed wrist position when we compare it to a dumbbell can be detrimental to someone who doesn't have all their okay. ducks in a row from their, you know, their thoracic spine to their scapula to their glenohumeral joint to their elbow to their wrist because that wrist ain't moving, man. Um, but yeah. I do think it does allow us um, a certain window of instability that we can begin to start overloading strength without putting ourselves necessarily in a dangerous position. So I'm all for it. And again, too. I love messing with force curves when I'm doing hypertrophy to me novelty is the game, name of the game. So if I can just overload an end range, throw some bands on there, and then throw a couple plates, then I just go to town. Okay. Very cool, very cool. So uh, w- a worthy consideration, maybe think about um, the unilateral application for those machines. And uh, yeah, that, I, I really like that. And and tell me, Jordo, um, can you, I mean, you're talking about, uh, for our listeners saying, you know, the you know, uh, you're not quite, you feel that you don't quite fit into the machine, I suppose, put in layman's terms. Could we throw that out to our listeners as well? Like if it, if it just feels off and, and you know, it, it, it just makes you feel really, you know, there's unnecessary pain in certain areas. Can that be a, a telltale sign maybe that that machine, the way it's structured is not uh, not for you and mm. maybe to gravitate towards a dumbbell rather than, well, machine's good. It's in between dumbbell and, and bench press. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. Yeah, think? I think I would never get dogmatic about any of the approaches for the most part. And I think, too, like the avatar that that machine is built for is not a lot of people. Hypothetically speaking, that person could not even exist, mm. right? It's an average of, of limb lengths and relative yeah. uh, widths and things like that. Like, I don't fit into it for one reason. You know, I got I got a buddy who's six foot eight. He doesn't fit into it for a whole <laughs> other reason. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so by the time he reaches that 
that that moment of peak force uh, in the overload, it's not. It doesn't make any sense with his leverages mm-hmm. to be loading that. So he needs to get a little bit more creative. Where you know, the gravitational force is always going to be a constant. So you are going to be able to retrofit a free weight movement like an incline dumbbell press to your morphology a lot easier than mm. you know trying to situate yourself awkwardly by like sliding one shoulder in behind the yeah. handle, then the other, and then like trying to reach over to get the handle in front of your like. Yeah, it's it it all it all depends on kind depends. of the morphology, and honestly, we got to think too like. Uh, structure is more than just morphology; it's also pathology. Like if you know, if you have, if you have a labrum tear, if you have a, yeah. a a bicep tendon issue, if you have a torn pec, like myself, like I need to change how I load my right versus my left pec now because mm-hmm. I'm missing thirty percent of my right pec. So it just it contracts differently. So yeah. you know, structure structural considerations have to be made when you're loading machines because they're not going to be forgiving in the least. Where I can easily press one dumbbell different than the right and subjectively have the same feeling. Awesome, Tommy. Like your your experience with machines somewhere oh, over there. Yeah, look, I was just going to say that I think Rawdon, you are the avatar for that hamstring mm. chest press because I I can just see how you would fit into that perfectly. I know the machine; it doesn't. It sort of kind of works for me, and then mm. uh, then it, it doesn't like wrong levers. Yeah, like I will say, uh, and you probably agree with this, Jordo, and and it probably resonate with you, Tommy. That um, for me that. Like the machine, uh, I think it's an incline uh, hammer press. Uh, like I can't take it all the way back to the rubber stop. So for me, it's sort of like a I, I cut out the bottom, so it's awkward to get in. Then I yeah. will have sort of push both levers off. Then I can do my pressing, but I'll come back to that point. I won't take it all the way, way back, back full yeah. range. So yeah. I do have to adjust. Uh, the range of motion that machine delivers mm. for me to be comfortable in it yeah and that's you know probably resonates with you Jordo, and and that's easily something you can d- apply based on individual biomechanics yeah and i think if you understand that and you can use it strategically and like okay in that position you're not going to be overloading that muscle in in that end range stretch position yeah. that's fine drive blood in there get some volume and then maybe your next exercise is one that's chosen specifically to yeah. overload resistance at that stretch position mm. yeah right? nice. so keeping an inventory as you train is, is like and trying to check a lot of boxes mechanically metabolically um uh you know just kind of trying to from a physics standpoint what angles have you hit again if novelty is the name of the game when it comes to hypertrophy then making sure that we're not being redundant is important but also making sure that you know, we're not just picking exercises that overload the end range of motion, for example. All right, then, Rawdon. So if we look at chest and back, take away that last conversation and just know that an incline dumbbell press and some sort of cable fly should be part of most people's makeup. And if you want to get a little bit schmancy and chuck in some accommodating resistance or some bands on those flies, then uh, then very good. And and I think Jordo's other point was uh, there to to achieve the the the, the novel stimulus as he kept saying, mm. be using those sort of drop set, superset type scenarios to elicit a little more uh, I think we call it fucking up the muscle is the uh, correct term. Technical I think. term, yeah, yes. Technical term, uh, swear warning. Uh, yeah, so with that summarize what we discussed there, Jordo, that was a, a pretty good sum- summary. Yeah, it's a very fine point on it. I dig it. Uh, cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, levels of gradation, but yeah, definitely, that, that's the, the meat and potatoes of it. Beautiful. All right, chest, done. Uh, 
Tell me after, mate. Tell you after. Check the reception. Okay, the muscle doctor. There he was. I mean, wow. You can spend an hour talking about chest. Absolutely no problems whatsoever. At the end of all that, Rawdon, I think if you're doing some sort of incline dumbbell press mm-hmm. and some sort of cable fly. Yep, he um, loves those two. He, he likes those two to be a part of any any chest workout. Mm. Um, and you got to funk it up, man. you got to smash the muscle to pieces. Yeah, so Lots he's... Lots of damage. He, he, he likes novelty in the workouts and, yeah. and creating as much muscle damage as, as he possibly can. Yeah, and I think uh, the jury's out on that, like with the muscle damage side of things. I yeah. don't really know if it's a yay or nay. Is it a, a yay and it needs to occur, or is it a nay, it doesn't need to occur? Is it a nay, it doesn't need to occur because it delays actual hypertrophy, or is it a yay, it adds to myonucleation and, yeah. uh, you know, the actual... Um, the growth of new contractile protein. So the jury's out. Jury's out. And I guess it would also be contextual as well. If you've, yes. if you're, you know, with your guys as you're trying to cruise them into a show 10 or 12 weeks out, then yep. you're probably not trying to create a huge amount of muscle damage as yeah, the, calories the calories are coming, coming down, down yeah, all absolutely. that kind of stuff. Where Jordo's at right now, um, as he mentioned at the top of the, the interview, he's, you know, he can get a bit more food in, yeah. you know, he, he can relax here and do that. Yeah. He's trying to, you know, yeah. that's probably a good place to be in to, yeah. uh, to fuck to ex- it up. Yeah, to explore, explore all um, that territory. Yeah, every possible avenue mm. of, of hypertrophy for sure. Right, so we'll have uh, Jordo back on to do back yep. next episode, uh, and that's equally as uh, detailed. Yep. If you're interested in tickets to the muscle camps he's doing with Ben Pekulski, then go to musclecamps.com. And a recap, Sydney, January 11th through to 13 at Kingdom Gym with Mark Patience, Perth. January 18 to 20 at Doherty's in Melbourne at Brunswick Doherty's, 25 through to 27. Okay. Awesome. That's all we need to do. Well done and uh, enjoy uh, the new year and we'll yes. see you on the flip side. Yes. <laughs>